Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. We're here today to recap this past weekend's NFL Draft, uh, talk about where Clemson boys fared um, in the NFL Draft, and see um, who's going to be playing where on NFL Sundays next season, and Thursdays, Mondays, and sometimes Saturday. Um, so for me, I thought it was a pretty good draft. Um, joined here today by Cody and Ben. Ben, uh, how do you think Clemson fared from a standpoint of getting drafted and seeing where our guys went? Well, I thought we did great. And honestly, I was so excited for this draft. It was uh, probably the only time I can remember actually following pick by pick throughout every round of the draft. Just because I knew going in that we had so much, uh, we had so many guys with so much potential for getting drafted. And to be honest with you, I'm surprised that we didn't get more players actually drafted than we did. However, Aside from the five, five players we did get drafted, 10 signing as undrafted free agents is huge. That's 15 guys um, with the possibility of ending up on NFL rosters next year, not to mention guys that have been invited uh, to training camps. So it was really pretty exciting. I, yeah, and I think it's just really indicative of the state of the program right now and where we are is that we're up there with the big boys. And I think the, the draft... And this, you know, the three days and the guys that were, were signed as free agents proves it. Yeah, I mean, really exciting for Clemson. I guess if you had one word, though, like it's, you know, if you want to be kind of negative, is anticlimactic. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, just because we had Anthony and, and Vic Beasley initially at, at the top of the draft, and then it kind of, we had all these guys on the board like Gary Peters, um, who we even thought could be as high as like a second round pick. Obviously, Deshaun Williams. I don't think Adam Humphreys is ever going to get drafted. Tavares Barnes, um, just the number of guys that ended up ultimately not getting drafted, but still like two first round picks. Man, it's like what a, a heck of a defense. And then the guys that didn't get drafted, it's going to be fun watching which of those guys will emerge because I think just ultimately we, we're going to probably put close to ten guys in the NFL this year, and that's just that's very exciting. And if you didn't like NFL before, then I think you have a reason to follow it now. Absolutely, I'm sure. Um, you know. Most of our fans definitely have their, their go-to team. Um, if not, or if you sort of follow one team in, let's say, the NFC, um, seeing some of our Clemson guys end up in the AFC, um, definitely definitely good to see from that standpoint. Um, ben, from a, maybe going back to the state of the program, um, any, any sort of thoughts on um, maybe sort of where our picks were taken? Um, clearly, top of the draft, um, not many other schools had two guys there. But, um, you know, maybe throughout the draft, what were your kind of reactions? Yeah, I was really excited, again, and this led to the excitement, to have two guys drafted in the first round on the first day. Have uh, Vic Beasley go as high as he went, especially when, you know, the ESPN talking heads were so down on him and had him going maybe a little bit later in the first round. And, you know, then to have two guys drafted in the first round, you know, I was waiting there to the, uh, to the end of the first round just waiting to see somebody else come off the board, and that was absolutely amazing. So to get two guys in there was amazing. And you know, going forward from that, I really thought that we had more potential, Grady Jarrett especially, to go in um, the second day in rounds uh, two and three. Two and three, yeah. Uh, he ended up dropping to the fourth round. And then after that, again, I thought we had some more players going on the last day of the draft, it didn't happen, but still, they got the undrafted free agent contracts. We have a ton of guys this year that are getting looks from NFL teams, and I think that's exciting. Definitely exciting. Um, you know, certainly Clemson's back in the top ten. Um, recent recent years, we've definitely put um, more of our offensive playmakers into the first round and definitely into that top ten zone uh, with the likes of Sammy Watkins, C.J. Spiller. But definitely good to see the defensive side getting the love there. Um, sticking with the defense and seeing Vic easily go in the top 10. Um, we knew that the critics were many, as you mentioned, Cody, heading into the draft. Um, but ultimately, I think some of the um, probably you know less hyped up um, NFL sources would consider that to be a really good pick, a really good get for an Atlanta team that needed to produce a pass rush this year. Um, so for me, um, I think definitely, definitely a solid fit for Vic Beasley going there under former Seattle Seahawks defensive coordinator and now head coach Dan Quinn. Um, I personally support Seattle, and I'm definitely bullish on how Dan Quinn can de develop Vic Beasley. Um, a lot of the critics, or his critics heading into the draft, saw 
a downside of his to be his, how he handles himself on running plays. Um, but both from what I know under the, under Seattle, and definitely from the way um, Atlanta plays, um, I definitely you know certainly they will face you know running backs and the run you know in their in their matchups. But for one, they're a high powered offense, so chances are that defense is going to be playing with a lead a good amount. They play in the NFC South. I can't name two running backs right now in the NFC South. Um, and secondly, I, I think... CJ Spiller is one. That, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just generally, I think, you know, all that Dan Quinn is going to look for Vic Beasley to do is get after the quarterback. Worst case, set the edge, you know, let, let the boys up the middle take care of that. So I'm definitely bullish. I think he will be a defensive um, rookie of the year candidate by year's end. And, um, you know, go Vic. Yeah, I think what's interesting about Vic Beasley is the perception of Vic Beasley and how the dis- and the disparity between really ESPN and where they have him rated versus like other you know draft like uh, NFL Network. It's just it, I don't know. It's like they developed a narrative and even their analysis once he got drafted, you know, showing certain you know footages. But it's like why why is that? Why why have they developed this? And I, and I don't think it's like an- I don't think there's a conspiracy. I don't think it's anti Clemson. I think it's just lazy on their part. I think they, uh, I think it's a lack of coverage and a lack of focus on the ACC, and you know, probably a little bit more. It's where they, you know, devote their resources. They have a lot of guys to cover. They probably put you know forty to fifty percent of their time directed to the SEC. So I feel like they just got lazy. They did not watch Vic Beasley. They probably didn't watch enough film. And where, how does he ultimately pan out? I, I think even like, that's another another uh, part of it is the narrative of what, what role he fits. Is he like a specialist on third down and rush the passer? Or is he like a guy that can, you know, both contain the run and and uh, also, uh, you know, get to the passer? And I, I think I think if you're looking at a guy that's like, he, he's going to be able to do them both. Um, just, again, it's very surprising the, the way ESPN has really chosen to analyze him. Well, yeah, even the, the contradiction in the plays that they were showing when they were talking about him, you know, they were saying that he was taking off plays uh, during the run game, and the plays that they showed, I think, resulted in about negative two yards of rushing. And at the same time, they were talking about him taking off plays, maybe he couldn't stand up against the rush. They were also mentioning all the tackles for losses that he had, and which which is earned on running plays because if it's a sack, screens, it's a, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's screens, or, I mean. Because otherwise it's a passing play, and that's, that's where he gets the sack. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. Maybe it was just kind of lazy, and there's just a contradiction in the in what they showed and what they were saying. Now, obviously, we're all a little, you know, biased, and, you know, we don't want to hear anything bad be said about, you know, the Clemson Tiger. Yep. And so maybe our, we are a little biased, and we do overlook a few things here and there, but... I mean, if you take what they said and what they showed, it was clearly, you know, it, it just didn't hold water. I thought. Well, and in my in my mind, with with drafts, I think with any player, you end up on either two ends of a spectrum. Either they were overdrafted, they stretched for somebody, then you come in with a lot of expectations, or might have been overrated, um, and you know, or might have been under. Let's just say, basically, or on the other end of the spectrum, you'll have someone who you know the critics panned him. Um, why are you why are you drafting Vic Beasley? And then he can play with a bit of a chip on his shoulder, um, and hopefully that that does develop. Like obviously, um, you know, he's still a top ten pick. It's not like he was completely snubbed and dropped out of the first round or anything. But that being said, um, you know, I I'm not not too worried about um, him having like lofty expectations coming into that role. Well, and I'll take the opinion of a former defense coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks over. Mel Kiper and Todd Shea any day of the week. 100%. Um, maybe sticking with Atlanta, you know, it's it's the, we live in San Francisco, they celebrated the year of the Ram for Chinese New Year. Seems like for Clemson, it's the year of the Falcon this year. Um, two of our three players drafted were taken by Atlanta. Um, actually, in the first pick of the fifth round was Grady Jarrett. Um, so certainly everyone felt like he, he was, uh, you know, passed up a good bit on the second day of the draft. Um, high on everyone's basically like good value picks of the draft list um, for his run stopping ability and definitely um, a lot of his intangibles. Um, so for me and Cody would love your opinion on this. I feel like 
Um, having him on that same defensive line unit, potentially with Vic Beasley in, in college, uh, do you feel like that can translate well to the NFL? And in what, what ways will that benefit both of them, having a teammate on the team? Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, it's hard to say, but it, it definitely won't hurt. You have, you know, two guys that I think, you know, they're, they both stayed for, you know, four or five years, respectively. So, I mean, you're talking about two mature guys that both worked hard. And I think you're talking about two guys that progressed throughout their careers. Like every year they got, you know, consistently better. So I, I don't think you're going to see a lot of drop off. If nothing, I think you have two guys that can hold each other accountable at, on the NFL level which is great, and then I guess us as Clemson fans, we get to maybe enjoy the Atlanta Falcons a little bit more so we can like root against the opposing quarterback every time we watch, Clemson, or every time we watch the Falcons play. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it, that's, a, that's a good thought. I don't know if it helps or, or whatever the case, but I hope, I hope those two guys are really like have solidified roles. Grady Jarrett is interesting, though. Um, I, think, I think he's really going to outperform that fifth fifth round pick mm. the first the fir- what is the first uh, pick in the fifth round I, he's all throughout his career from the time he was in high school where he, when he was a th- uh, three-star player coming out of georgia georgia looked overlooked him a lot of the sec guys overlooked him clemson got him he outperformed that and then all throughout his college career he, he never got all american status he probably should have been got some very significant consideration for all american status he never did but he, nonetheless, he was probably our best player on the NFL line, or I'm sorry, on the defensive line. However, Vic, Be- Vic Beasley overshadowed him. Now he's he's uh, you know he's going to the NFL and he's still playing that like chip on his shoulder type role. It'll be interesting to see how the, uh, everything pans out there. Well, and we we talked about this before how he was kind of an unsung hero, a guy that you really didn't pay a lot of attention to at the beginning of the year, even though. You know, all the insiders told us how good this defensive line was going to be. Uh, but he would he would blow people off that line. And we saw that as the year progressed, and his name was starting to get called just as much. So I think it's obvious what he can do. And, you know, honestly, you know, there hasn't been a lot of good things to say about any of the uh, four uh, Clemson defensive players that got drafted. And honestly, I think a lot more defensive players should have gone in the draft. And but I'll just point back to the number one defense in the nation mm. last year. Yeah. And how we looked on the field and passing the eye test on the field and how those guys battled and how they matured throughout the course of the year and really, you know, stepped up and carried this team. So, you know what? Let They've done it before. They've come in with the odds against them. Maybe it's not the highest-rated guys. Maybe not people thinking that, that you know they're going to be the best at what they do. And yeah, certainly we're not yet perceived nationally as Alabama or LSU right. caliber. Um, but that said, let's see what Brent Venables can put together. You know, coming off the heels of a pretty well-drafted class, certainly well-rated, top in the nation last year. Um, and definitely solid results on the football field. Right, and then these guys that got drafted, they're going to go through the same thing again. You know, So we're going to watch them do it again. So yeah, everybody's not high on them right now. Let them prove everybody wrong like they've already done once before. So maybe sticking with sort of the, the front seven of the Tigers, we can stay in the NFC South as well, moving over to the New Orleans Saints, um, quickly becoming another you know, Clemson um, hotbed of, of several, several Clemson players. Um, Stefan Anthony was actually taken with the second-to-last pick in the first round. Um, New Orleans, by virtue of a trade with Seattle for Jimmy Graham, they received Seattle's first-round pick and center Max Unger. Um, and with that 31st pick, they took uh, inside linebacker Stefan Anthony, um, who is definitely a, a podcast favorite of the podcast. Um, so taking 31st overall, um, Cody, from what you gathered with Stefan Anthony over his last two years at Clemson, what did you like? What did you see from Stefan Anthony that you feel translates well to the NFL? Well, I think what, what I like and what NFL scouts like, and the reason he went ultimately went uh, in the first round is his, his speed. I mean, it looked, he looked quick on tape. I don't think people realized how quick he was. He's like, we're in a four five five. I think that was right, you know, around that area. Hmm. Just really just impressed with his, his physical or his measurables. And what I like about him from a, you know, more of a, you know, just character type standpoint is he's another guy in that senior class that just developed over time. And 
I know, like, I know it gets, we're really hitting on it a lot, but it's like, that's what's going on in the offseason. These guys are working hard and well, he, progressing. He had a demotion as well. So his, his sort of starting role as yeah. um, sophomore to junior year, kind of took a back seat, earned that back his senior year, and saw great results. Heard his name called quite a bit in a pretty crowded, um, star-studded defense. Were he and Anthony, or uh, he and Stewart, both five stars coming in? Yeah, they came in the same draft class. Stewart was actually a little bit ahead of Anthony, but yeah, they were both five five stars coming yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, huge, uh, huge haul that year. But, and, you know, maybe we didn't get the production from a guy like Stewart, and maybe even Anthony to some degree, at least initially, didn't live up to that five-star billing. But man, I from like a leadership standpoint, and guys that you'll, I think you'll see in the NFL, guys that like continue to work hard and progress. That's, I mean, yeah, they're they, they're going to do they're going to do well. And maybe I'd like to touch on some of the plaudits I read about Stephon Anthony coming from again some some you know reliable sources from um, sort of NFL journalists, if you will. Um, so Mike Mayock definitely very bullish on Anthony. I think he he noted that definitely plays hard through the whistle. Um, sees him as having his best football ahead of him and definitely having the traits to stand out in a Rob Ryan-heavy blitz scheme. Um, Rob Ryan, defensive coordinator of the Saints, um, really relies on the blitz from his guys to you know pressure opposing quarterbacks and um, cause them to make mistakes. So um, really, um, Stephon Anthony, hopefully with pressure up the middle, should help out there. Um, also read, you know, there's really signs of him um, maturing well into the NFL in terms of coverage and in terms of disrupting passing lanes, even covering you know those large tight ends that we're going to see in the form of um, Greg Olson and the big guys going over the middle from Tampa Bay with Jameis Winston um, might even square up against Adam Humphreys. We'll see if he makes the roster in Tampa. Um, but anyway, I think you know definitely reading a lot, a lot of good stuff coming out about Stephon Anthony and Saints fans and definitely their bloggers are pretty pretty bullish on that pick. Yeah, and yet the first thing you'll hear from ESPN on his draft analysis is that he was poorly coached at Clemson. Interesting. By, by Brent Venables, who is yeah. an outstanding linebacker coach. And had the number one defense in the nation. <laughs> yeah, and again, it's not a conspiracy theory, but I think it's I think this is very noteworthy, though. I don't think, you know, I'll spend some time here. Is, it, there's definitely some perception out there that Clemson is still, like, a, a, you know, a second-rate school. You know, second-rate coaches. You know, develop, yeah, we get the, we get the talented athletes, there. but don't really develop them. Yeah, you know, right. if, if if I really bought into the conspiracy theories, then I wouldn't expect uh, to see the production we've actually had on the field and the success we've had. So I can't buy into any of these conspiracies for the most part because if it was an actually conspiracy against us. We wouldn't be doing as well as we have been lately. Um, but... You know, we all have our dislikes for certain reasons with ESPN, and it's just it's interesting to see how, like, if you look down the draft analysis and, like, the first negative thing you see written uh, between a group of ten guys is a Clemson guy, and then the, the first top ten picks, the only negative thing they have to say is a Clemson guy. You know, again, yeah, you get tired of hearing that. So. I mean, we, we spoke about this earlier, and, you know, we don't want to use the term conspiracy too much here, but in effect, I, I do feel like... Um, I mean, Cody, you touched on it. ESPN, they're, they are covering lots of teams, lots of players. It's pretty easy to say, like, what comps do we have to go on in recent years from a Clemson defense to look at? And, you know, I remember three, four years ago, Daquan Bowers coming out, really highly lauded, um, basically defensive lineman. And they were all in on him. He was drafted early on in the first round and sort of disappointed um, onlookers. You know, uh, so, you know, seeing... And, you know, certainly we had guys like Gaines Adams in the past that may not have lived up to their draft type. So it's easy to say, like, we haven't seen much coming out of Clemson defensively. What's all this hype about Clemson defensive players? So, um, in effect, you know, I, I think some of that bias is rearing its head here in this draft class. Yeah, and I, it's funny that you mentioned that, like, use the word comps. And that's what they're doing. They're using comps from previous years, like other Clemson players. It's like comparing, you know, college football or basketball teams to one another um, looking back from like 2001 mm. where like a lot of the coaching staff's not around. Got right. the players Duke was around. good this year. They were also good during Shane Battier's run. Yeah. Which, like, which I get I me mean, in that line of logic, then yeah, that would make sense. And then they'll always be good, but that's never the case because like, shouldn't he use Duke players, you know, players turn over, things change. 
using that comp, which I, I agree. I think that's probably what they're doing. They're looking at a position group like, you know, again, they're, they're, they're at the macro level. They're analyzing so many players, watching so much film that they get lazy. So now they're probably correlating Vic to a guy like, you know, Daquan Bowers, who, you know, by the way, he did fall to the second round mm. because of an injury. But still, nonetheless, he had a lot of hype, and he has un- underperformed to some degree up to this point in his career. And then a guy like Gaines Adams, who, you know, rest in peace, but, you know, didn't really, you know, st- you know stand up to his, his rating either or, or his draft position. So, anyway, so, you know, what's going on? I don't – I think it's just lazy not – these ESPN guys don't have anything against Clemson. I think when, when there's a conspiracy theory, there's always someone that has something to gain from it. And I, don't, I just don't think anyone has anything to gain from knocking Clemson. Mm-hmm. I just think it's just their way of being lazy, probably putting a little bit too much attention on the SEC and undermining the ACC. Well, no, and that's how these guys have <coughs> specific jobs where that's all they focus on all year is, you know, they, they go big or go home. They make a bold, brash statement. And if they miss, everybody's talking about how they're wrong anyways. But if they hit it, then they have something that they're going to talk about. Yeah, they're and, geniuses. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I mean, I, I think uh, Mel Kuyper once said something to the effect that if Jimmy Clausen isn't a starting quarterback in the NFL in three years, that he'll, he'll quit draft analysis. Well, Mel, we saw you again on Thursday. So, And I don't think it's a conspiracy. I think it's really more along the lines. You're right. I think maybe part of it's just being lazy. It just goes back. Look at the film they showed and what they were saying during the analysis, during the draft. It just kind of contradicted itself when they were talking about Vic Beasley. Yeah. So well, a, a lot of this stuff does take two, three, four years to play out to exactly. understand what was he worth that draft pick, who was he drafted ahead of, out of that player's control, obviously. But you know, we're yeah. And, and the college game is very much different than the NFL, and a lot of guys who have a lot of success in college doesn't necessarily translate to the NFL. Was it Ricky Sapp who had such a great last season at, at Clemson that really drove up his draft stock, and we see him. I think uh, it was yesterday or today get get cut uh, from the roster. So yeah, I mean it doesn't always necessarily translate. You're right; it, it does take some time to play out, and so we'll just have to see. I mean, these guys aren't always right, and let's in these cases, let's hope they're not. So shifting gears a little bit, I want to speak to um, Clemson having the only specialist in the draft selected. Specialist being um, special teams punter, kicker, and uh, punter Bradley Pinion. Opted not to come back, um, went into the draft, and was drafted by a local team to us out here, San Francisco 49ers. Um, reactions, guys. We had a punter drafted. I mean, a great decision on his part. I, you know, I always thought he was a good punter. I guess I didn't. I, I'm sure he went and tried, or I did some, did some reps for several teams, and he must have really impressed. I mean, he's definitely athletic. He's big and athletic, and. Wow, he must have, I mean, getting drafted and obviously getting a nice fat signing bonus, you know, congrats, opinion. And he's coming to our, you know, our neck of the woods out here in the Bay Area, so we're going to be uh, welcoming him with open arms. Yeah, I mean, he must have really had some good inside information. I mean, number one, you don't hear punters coming out as juniors. Yeah. Uh, that's in entering the NFL draft, that's one thing. Number two, you definitely don't hear them getting drafted a lot, especially in the fifth round to a team who already has a serviceable punter. Far from serviceable. I would say Andy Lee, who's a serial pro bowler, yeah. probably top three punter in the league. Well, really and, curious pick. And, you know, just what we've read is maybe his punting average has gone down over the last several years, and Pinion's going to go in right away and challenge him. Sure. You know, what we will say about Pinion is, you know, his, I think his ability, at least from my, you know, without reading anything about it, just from my, what I witnessed over the past football uh, couple seasons and what stood out to me is that when we needed him to boom it he did he got some good hang time and he was really good at dropping the ball inside the 20 and you know maybe especially with our offense over the past couple of years especially two years ago when we were driving down the field a lot you know he maybe didn't have a, a, a large field to punt it like his job was maybe when we got the ball to the 45 installed was to, to, to knock that ball down inside the 20 and I mean, he clearly, if anybody knows what they're doing coming out for the NFL draft early, it has to be a punter. Like, a punter has to have solid information that they're going to come out. Otherwise, I mean, it just blows your mind that a punter's going to come out early, let alone go through a senior season and get drafted in the fifth round. But they come out early. So, right. I mean, that was surprising. 
you know, best of luck to him. It's awesome to hear, uh, and it was great to it was great to see see him go. You know, they brought up uh, the name of Chris Gardaki from back in the '90s, and you know that brings up fond memories of Clemson kickers. You know, I remember watching him a lot, hmm. and so you know maybe he's our next uh, Chris Gardaki. Yeah, I mean, again, like. It's surprising. I guess if we had to say there was one surprise from the draft, it's definitely definitely opinion, right? I mean, maybe maybe you say a couple of guys that weren't drafted are a surprise. Sure. Well, I mean, like, I, oh, that's that's what, by, one by big parts. surprise. Like, what's your takeaway, Tully? What's one big surprise from the draft? Uh, fifth round punter absolutely um, was an eyebrow raising move, but uh, maybe maybe more. But by all means, I feel like he he can and, and could live up to that. I think whatever punter is going to be back there for the 49ers this year will certainly get a lot of work, a lot of reps. Um, you know, I'm not sure what the wide receiver situation looks like there, their, their ability to move the ball. Frank Gore is gone. They got turnover on the O-line. So chances are, he's if he does make the, the starting roster, he may get a good amount of reps there as a rookie. Um, hope he does. Hope he succeeds. Um, honestly, surprise-wise, not too much otherwise. I think uh, great to see just the number one defense in the nation getting something like, what was it, 10 front seven guys um, drafted overall, or drafted or signed to undrafted free agent contracts. Um, that's got to be among our best drafts, draft classes ever defensively. Uh, so, you know, very encouraging to see that. And when we, when we do shift gears a little bit, certainly want to touch on Tony Stewart being drafted by the Buffalo Bills in a moment here. But I think the fact that we did get 10 Clemson players signed to undraft, um, free agent contracts, though being not drafted. Um, a lot stood out to me, actually, from that group. I think you do have a number of Clemson guys, even on the same side of the football, um, being added to teams where there are um, Clemson players either from this draft class or last year being added. Um, Washington, we already spoke about um, New Orleans and Atlanta. Um, Atlanta um, having uh, Grady Jarrett and obviously Vic Beasley. New Orleans having Stephon Anthony. Um, as well as Tavares Barnes, and uh, Washington, Rashad Breeland, and Corey Crawford. I think having these duos, um, even from an off-the-field standpoint, will help these guys to get acclimated to the league together or learning from you know the senior player that was there a year before. Um, I think that's going to be great, and hopefully these guys are able to make an impact, join the, join the 53-man roster, and really establish themselves. Um, but... Maybe to shift gears, Cody, looking at the undrafted free agent guys that were signed, had a, had a few offensive linemen, Cole Stout, um, Adam Humphreys, which of these guys do you really see potentially making a, a big rookie impact on their team of choice this year? Yeah, I think it, it's interesting. Ben said that I think 33% of the league is composed of guys that were signed as free agents. Well, if you took that sample size or that, that small guys of Clemson players that were, that were uh, drafted, I think more than you know, a third of those guys will actually have gone to have pretty decent NFL careers. Um, probably chief among them would be Corey Crawford. I'm very surprised he didn't get. I mean, not only surprised that he didn't get drafted. Yeah, I was too. I'm surprised that he didn't get drafted in like the top four rounds. I really thought yeah. he would. And then even Gary Peters, I didn't necessarily think he was going to be a top round guy, but like, you know, again, fifth or sixth round, he had such a good year. If you watch him on film, you know, he he looked great. He's very physical. Again, it goes down to that comes down to that forty speed, and that's that's really I think what really hurt him. Maybe a few other things like his bench press, but so Gary Peters, cornerback, uh, signed on with the Panthers. Gary Peters, yeah, cornerback who you know came in with a lot of talent. The Clemson took a while for it all to you know to really take form, but man, he's he had a heck of a senior year. He really showed it on tape. So you, you talk about two guys that I think in my in my mind that have. Uh, have a lot of potential to not only just be make a roster, but be good players. Corey Crawford and Gary Peters. Yeah, I would I would totally agree with that. Um, you know, maybe the only reason that I'm not surprised that some of the defensive backs, even though as as solid as they were last year, and how much better we were at in, in the secondary last year than we were two years ago. Um, I guess what I would say was is that our our front seven were so dominant. And we had such a good pass rush that a lot of pressure was probably taken off of the defensive backs uh, going into last year. So maybe they saw something on tape. You know, I, I'm not surprised that Robert Smith and Martin Jenkins didn't get drafted. I thought maybe Peters could have gone in the seventh round. 
I agree with you. I, I thought Corey Crawford would have gone. And again, like I said before, I, I'm still I'm still surprised we only had five guys drafted, especially off of our defense. Um, so, but the good thing is, is that let's see, we had five defensive linemen either get drafted or sign undrafted free agent contracts. So the defense did get a lot of recognition. Their guys, tons of guys, are going to get a shot to make a team. And now it's just really up to them to see how they prepare themselves and how they perform. And you know, drafted or not, it really doesn't matter at this point. That that's about money. Now they have the shot to make the team. Yeah, it really, it really doesn't matter. Like what, what, and you know what, it doesn't matter either is what Mel Kiper's perception of Vic Beasley was. Yeah. Just like like you mentioned about Jimmy Clausen, no one remembers what Mel Kuyper's uh, opinion of uh, Jimmy Clausen was. All we remember now is that Jimmy Clausen was a boss. Yeah, I wonder what they said about Ryan Leaf. Like, I would love to go back and, <laughs> and, we, and, and see that. We could probably dig that up. But, yeah, so none of that will matter ultimately, even, <clears throat> even in the draft position, which, but, again, those guys that didn't get drafted have a chance to really, like, make the league and... and Man, you're talking about a haul of guys going into the league. From a recruiting standpoint, you know that's my bread and butter. Oh yeah, I think that's great, man. And obviously, chief, you know, most importantly, I think is you know, defensive end. Having that guy, we're looking for defensive ends this year. Yep. And then having Stephon Anthony and Tommy Stewart going as linebackers, we're still trying to reel in, you know, a couple of linebackers. Really, just one, but you know that'll that'll obviously you know have value for you know beyond this year. So. That's, that's huge. And I, I will say this real quick. As much as we talked about how we were surprised about the guys that didn't get drafted, I am equally surprised uh, about the couple guys that did sign free agent contracts. Specifically, the, those surprised, uh, very happy for these guys, Adam Humphreys and Cole Stout. Um, you know, I, I didn't think that they would make a roster uh, or an opportunity to make a roster. But you know what? I'm interested in see what Stout can do, and I'm you know, and Adam Humphreys, you know, he can be that dependable, uh, you know, possession receiver. So we've seen like our you know fifth string receiver do well, already make an NFL team, like a guy like Jerome Brown. Yeah, I'm not saying Jerome Brown and Adam Humphreys are you know fundamentally very different, but right. you know, a guy like Adam Tyler Humphreys, Gresham. Yeah, Gresham. That's that's a. Yeah, you're talking about a possession receiver who's going to run routes. Is going to be a good teammate. Yeah, you, you never know. I'm, you know, I'm never big on Cole Stout. I don't, I don't expect big things. But heck, look, someone's got to hold that clipboard for Philip Rivers. Why not a Clemson guy? Why not a Clemson guy? Had that long hair, Clemson guy in San Diego. If he just keeps growing out his hair, then I think yeah, he'll probably make the roster. <laughs> Little beard might might help. Well, and here's the thing: way. what's it take to be a third string quarterback in the NFL? You have, yeah. You know, uh, a little bit of ability, which Cole Stout does, and we didn't get to see the full potential last year as Gens on maintained. He was injured most of the year, but also the football IQ. So I think he for sure has that. And the pedigree, his father was in the NFL. So I mean, yeah, yeah. You, you could be right. You know that that decision for the third string quarterback, it's an important one. It's not going to make or break a franchise, but they're probably looking at less, you know, talent and upside, but more so like we, the player coach. And maybe you're right. Maybe that could be Cole Stout. Um, so that's a, that's a good point. And I can't remember who he has in front of him on that roster, but I remember when I was looking at it, it's not that impressive. So I don't think the the talent that he's trying to jump to make the team is all that great. Yeah, and certainly uh, Philip Rivers' tenure with the Chargers is in flux at the moment. Um, what with uh, their potential move to Los Angeles, his um, unwillingness to move to Los Angeles as well. So we'll see what develops with the Chargers. Um, Maybe just sh- touching on one last point within the draft, um, Buffalo Bills head coach Rex Ryan certainly appears to be a pretty large uh, Clemson fan, Clemson lover at this point. Um, those guys did draft Tony Seward. Um, and certainly with Rex Ryan being a very defense-forward coach, they moved middle linebacker Kiko Alonso to Philadelphia this offseason in a trade. Um, not sure if Tony will crack the starting roster um, you know, initially this season, but Definitely um, a great coach, a great system to, be, to fit in for him. So uh, I, I think he could be the dark horse among this draft class of an impact maker in his first year. 
Yeah, and I can't remember. I think it was Nick Saban who said when he saw Tony Stewart, and like, a, like we were talking about earlier, he was a five-star out of high school, higher, you know, one of the you know, top, I think, 15 guys in his class. When I think Nick Saban saw him at a camp, he said that's the best player in this class or the best player at this camp because physically he really is gifted. Um, you know what's interesting, though, about Tony Stewart going to Buffalo and what we've seen, like Rex Ryan taking Clemson guys is, we can talk all day about his son and what role he plays, you know. But if nothing else, his son can go can say, "Hey, Dad, Tony Stewart is, you know, he's one bad guy in the weight room. He's one leader. Like he, he's one hell hardworking. Yeah. He's hardworking. He's got great character. So I take that as a testament to like if you see a guy drafted by Rex Ryan at this point, he's got some great intel on what what's going on in the locker room. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, to, to have a, I mean, yeah, it's your son. I mean, let's be real. You know. They talk. He's not giving a politically correct answer to his dad. No, no, exactly. And he's going to tell him, you know, let's say, I mean, Rex Ryan's son is at Clemson to most likely be groomed as a coach. I mean, he's, he's, he's learning the ropes. He's never going to be a starter on the team. Um, and I'm sure Rex Ryan had a lot of influence and suggestions on where to go to school. And it seems like he comes down to Clemson a lot, knows Dabo pretty well. So I think he does have a strong connection to Clemson. And, you know, we're, we're maybe seeing that. In that's nice seeing that. Not, not just right. with Buffalo, but with the Jets too, right? You know, that, that's, that's interesting because you're talking about, like, him coming to Clemson and, like, the criticism of both Dabo and Rex on some level, I think, is that they're people, they're, you know, they're, they're the guy's guy, they're, they're a man of the, of the people. And like what you see with guys like Belichick and, and Nick Saban, they're not men, they're they're not people people by any means. They're just like mad scientists. Right. It's their and system. Like, you're yeah. you're just a cog in the wheel. And a cog in the, yeah. At the end of the day, those are the guys that have been successful, cog right? And and not to say Dabo hasn't been, but you know Rex hasn't been successful. I guess I don't know. It's just an interesting dynamic that I think of. And uh, yeah, if, but hey, if if he's going to send his kid to like coaching lessons and, and Clemson. Is the, is the school, then I think we came a long way. That's for, that's for damn sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Enough on Buffalo for the moment. I feel like um, definitely, definitely uh, would like to see uh, Tony make make that starting lineup there, and um, maybe one last point on the draft before we move on to uh, bigger and better things, Clemson baseball. Um, Really wanted to touch on maybe the influence guys, and this is a little less Clemson-oriented, thankfully. Um, really the role that character is playing on players' draft position, um, some of the hype coming in, or some of the criticism of these players. And there were really four guys that stood out in this draft that um, off-the-field incidents really impacted where they were taken. Certainly um, high-talent-level high guys that um, teams made the call to um, maybe just go ahead and ignore some of the warning signs or... Um, take into account some of their off-field issues and in, in where they selected them. Um, Randy Gregory and Shane Ray, two highly touted uh, defensive players, had some issues with uh, marijuana incidents in the offseason. Um, Frank Clark, Michigan player with a, um, some recent domestic violence issues. Seattle was panned for dra drafting him in the second round. And we saw Lael Collins, um, you know, offensive lineman for LSU, probably a top two to three offensive line prospect coming into this draft, still undrafted, still unsigned to any teams. So clearly, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say that this year is any different, from, any different from past years in terms of having players with issues coming in, but I think um, potentially the role of 24-hour news cycle, social media, um, everyone having a take constantly on what's going on here is impacting players' average draft position with character issues. Any thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, that, that's a good point. And it's very, I don't know, looking at a guy, a guy like Jameis Winston, there's a tipping point where that becomes a problem. But when your talent starts outweighing, regardless, you could you could be a rapist. Apparently, you can be, you know, allegedly, allegedly. I'm sorry. Um, you, can, you can, you know, obviously there could be domestic violence issues. That, that can all be superseded by your, by your football talent. But you get the guy like even last year, um, 
drawn a blank on the guy, the the homosexual guy from Missouri. He talked about, I mean, he, Michael he, Sam, and that's not even a, any transgression by any means, <laughs> but it's a distraction. So that guy, you know, didn't make a team. So it's like, it's where, where do you fall? How 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 much? How talented are you as a football player? And then that's going to be weighted against what your issue is, and it's all perception. There's like no one cares really. No, no GM really cares about your moral compass. They care about what can you what can you do for me on the field, and how much are you going to take away from the team if you I like an idiot off the field. Well, it, I mean, it's it's interesting that you bring up the James Winston thing and the the talent issue. Uh, Leo Collins, I think, was going to go in the first round, and with this homicide investigation, not even charged or accused of the crime, but he, he drops out of the draft completely. And what if that was Jameis Winston in that situation? Where does he fall to would be my question. If he's not necessarily being investigated, he's not charged with the crime of homicide. But there's some suspicion. But in, he's in brought in right. for questioning. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know the answer, but I just wonder where does a guy that just Jameis Winston fall all the way out of the draft? I don't think so because the quarterback is a very different uh, position in the NFL than, I don't know, whatever Collins was. Was he a defensive lineman? Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Cody, on the one hand, I agree with you. These guys are GMs. They are there to field a football team, to put the best product on the field, to win football games, to win championships. That said, they also have to evaluate risk. They have to evaluate are we going to draft a guy that could become an issue now or in the near future under this contract who we could have some suspensions forthcoming or you know, a black eye on the team, if you will? Um, so I, I don't know. I, I suppose it's, it is starting. As we have more of these examples of in-season incidents coming up, guys getting suspended, I think more and more GMs are going to have to make this decision and have to um, – I think we are going to see average draft position, let's say, start to slide a bit as we get more of this um, taking place. But I, I do want to touch on the role. I think that um, you know, the constant exposure, um, certainly of um, social media, you know, et cetera, that I feel like that plays a, a fairly big role in um, really some of this stuff being uncovered in the first place. Well, and I'll say, you know, I think there's a difference in the levels of things that we're talking about here. And, sure. Um, I mean, for instance, a guy like Shane... Homicide and marijuana. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, a guy like Shane Ray, I mean, if, there, if any Clemson person is is dogging Shane Ray or is critical of him, you know, for that, you know, pot meat kettle, Sandy Watkins, mm-hmm. you know? So he's still part of our family. We love him. Now, we love him, uh, and we still support him to this day, and we got over that really quickly. You know, Shane Ray, by all accounts, a really great guy, you came from a tough place. Really, the biggest question with what he did was was the week of the NFL draft. Right, timing. Yeah. maybe not best decision there. And I, I mean, I just want to touch on this generally, like you know. Right. But with these I other think, guys, with the homicide investigations, I mean, those are the big things. You have the guys like you know Ray Rice with the domestic abuse. You have Aaron Hernandez with with his situation. That is a big red flag. And again. <laughs> Going back to comparing him with Jameis, maybe maybe Jameis would have would have gone undrafted because that specific issue is a much bigger deal right now, and Absolutely. you know is you know just has many more implications just than some of these other minor issues that we're talking about. So, and to tie this back to Clemson a bit, it just you know looking at sort of the the emphasis that Dabo and our our program. Um, places on drafting high-caliber individuals, high-character guys. I feel like it's it's good that in recent years, we really haven't had Clemson in the news for some of these transgressions. Sammy Watkins, certainly a marijuana situation. Um, but that being said, you know, um, continuing to bring in high-character guys and maintaining discipline on the team, I feel like um, chances are that should continue, which is, which is good. Yeah, and the, the pot thing... That's like decision making one on one. You get a wonderlick test to see how you know essentially what your IQ is. Are you stupid or are you you know not? Um, the other part is just are you stupid enough to smoke pot? You know the night before you're going to get tested for pot. Well, it's not right. that. I mean, you, you got pulled over with it. I mean, just just oh, have, that's, yeah. having it with you the week of the draft. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's not a question whether. It's actually morally right, especially the way our society is is 
trending and where we're most likely heading. It's really a question is that you know what's right and wrong now and you know what you risk to lose. Or what you're under contract and you've committed to. It, it, exactly. So it's not a matter whether or not you know, it's going to be legal or not. It's a matter of right here, right now. You know what you have to lose. You know what's right or wrong now. What, yeah. what decision do you make and versus you know, what do you risk yeah, yeah. Get, giving up? So My, my favorite person at TV or radio personality, Colin Cowherd, always says he doesn't care if you are if you smoke pot, if you make a couple stupid decisions when you're in a position like defensive end. So your job is pretty simple, right? Just go after the quarterback, stop the run. It's like, but if you're a quarterback, however, he puts a higher emphasis. That that's the guy I want I want to tell this guy before we draft him. I want to spend a lot of resources. I want to figure out, you know, if he was a good teammate when he was in the seventh grade, I want to figure out, you know, what kind of character he, you know he had when he was you know on the basketball team in high school whatever the case he want he wants to do like you know extended investigation on that player and that guy better be the guy that's making quality decisions because that's a leadership role that's a that's a position that that requires a lot of you know a lot of a, a high mental prowess essentially so it's a little bit different whereas between positions to position, yeah. Right, where because on the defense, you can have leaders across the board from many different positions. You can have a defensive leader, and on the offensive side of the ball, it 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 is the quarterback. Absolutely, right. right. I just so. think even from like a very basic, just fundamental standpoint, just the, the actual role of what you're doing and the mental yeah. faculties that it requires are well. And let's be honest, different. Marijuana, they treat it like it's a performance enhancing drug. They treated it. Same penalties, same punishment as other substance abuse and other performance-enhancing drugs, which it is not. So I think you're seeing a sea change in this country, states legalizing, um, definitely penalties across the board lowering, certainly not from a federal standpoint, but on a state level. Interesting Shane Ray is ending up in Denver, in Colorado, one of the two states at the moment to have um, active marijuana sales. Shouldn't impact his situation, but just a curious uh, coincidence there. But I, I feel like that's going to change in the NFL. Um, you know, I grew up supporting the Cleveland Browns. They're dealing with Josh, the aftermath of Josh Gordon having um, multiple marijuana incidents. Now, does that, does that mean he had any type of edge on the football field? No. But he knew the rules. I'm not saying I agree with the rules, but he knew what they were. And by all means, he should have followed them, especially after one offense where the second and third offenses resulted in what now became a year-long suspension. You're, in effect, posing your, your career, the team you play for, and really your value to the rest of the league for the rest of your career. And, and I, think, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's, it's not whether or not you agree with the rules. You, you go in knowing what the rules are, and if you choose, that's the path you're going to take in your career. Yeah, if you sign on the line that is dotted. Right, or you, you expect kind of to. to. Right. Yeah, I mean... The, Rules are the rules. You know, if, if you're agreeing to do this and you leave it up to somebody else to fight the fight to, to change it, but especially the week of the draft. So, just saying. <laughs> yeah, it's just basically a test of temptation and maturity. And, yeah. And, like, yeah, not to go too deep or political, but yeah, why, by the way, why, with all the NFL players and all the pain issues that they have and the, you know, they're, you know, becoming addicted to pain pills. Why is pot not legal again for for these players? But you know, that's another another argument for another day. Great. Well, I think in closing, we'd like to touch on uh, the trials and tribulations of Clemson's baseball team. Um, certainly, has been a season of ups and downs, mostly downs, um, and it seems like even tonight um, we matched up against the Wofford Terriers. And earlier on, before the podcast, it looked like we were trailing Wofford by a score, I think, of 12 to 8. So, guys, where do we stand? We're, you know, now in the month of May, uh, tough going. Jack Leggett, is he the man next year? Well, this, this has to be it. Again, I will, we're now on the brink of not making the ACC tournament, let alone uh, the NCAA tournament in baseball, and I've maintained for a while now that for Jack Leggett to keep his job uh, going into next year, that we're going to have to make some type of incredible deep run in the in the NCAA's, and that uh, I will be so beyond shocked if that actually happens. I mean, losing tonight to Wofford 
17 to 9, icing on the cake. And I'll go back to our series against Louisville uh, this past weekend. You know, we won the first game. Matthew uh, Crownover, you know, has been doing a phenomenal job this year. And he's really the bright spot on the Clemson baseball team. Um, but it was how the next two games played out. And specifically the the third game of the series in which we lost, I really think Jack Leggett came out and threw some guys under the bus, specifically the bullpen, you know, saying that we, we've just got to find some answers in the bullpen at the very end of the games. We're a little thin there. Well, I'm sorry, Jack, that's, that's really not just it. Because I'll remind you that in the game before that, the second game of the series, that it was the starting pitcher that was the problem. And then in the third game of the series where, yes, the bullpen was shaky. Um, we were also starting to 13 runners on base and went 4 for 15 with runners in scoring position and had a chance, I, uh, I think, in the sixth inning um, with the bases loaded and one out, and we, we had two pop-outs. Um, so it's, it's not just the bullpen. It's, it's the, entire, you know, the entire baseball team. It's every aspect of the game. So just for him to come out and throw players under the bus like that, like he needs to stop pointing the finger and just look at himself. And, you know, I appreciate everything he's done for the program, but this, this has to be it. Any reasonable Clemson fan, you know, I, I thought up in the past couple of years, I was not with everybody who thought he should be going uh, maybe up to like two years ago. I thought he deserved another chance. But right now, I don't see how any reasonable Clemson fan can actually take a look at this state of the baseball program and think that we don't need a new baseball coach. We, we don't lose the Wofford 17 to nine. No. I mean, that's, that's not Clemson baseball. So, and again, it's, it's, I have, I take issue with just how the program is playing in general, but then also him throwing players under the bus. You're the coach, hold yourself accountable, hold your coaches accountable and maybe coach better and develop better. And you won't have those problems in the bullpen, which, by the way, is not the only reason why we lost that series. Couldn't have said better. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I believe this will be his last year. We will see uh, what the athletic department decides to do. Uh, probably seems at this point like Jack Leggett will not willfully step down during the season uh, based on where we are. So uh, we'll see that play out and if he if he has a, a ceremonious exit or not. But, um, you know, I think... That, that envelope might be sealed at this stage. We good, guys? Yeah, I think so. I think we touched on everything. Yes, yeah, Jack Leggett's gone, man. <laughs> good, good way to end the, the podcast on a high note there. Well, sorry for that one, but um, definitely good draft chatter. Um, guess taking a look a, a little bit ahead, um, between now and really the start of football season, I think we're going to be covering a good amount of ground. Um, you know, I think very soon here we're going to be start bringing in our very first guests into the po the podcast, um, meeting with both folks within and without and outside of the Clemson family. Uh, we'll be doing a bit of breakdown of Clemson players in the NFL, not just the guys that just got drafted, guys on active fifty three man rosters, uh, starting eleven on their respective side of the ball, um, really understanding who's done what thus far, who do we see as having a really big breakout impact this coming year. Um, stacking the guys up against one another. Um, covered a lot more ground than that, but thank you all for sticking with us, spreading the word about the, pod, the podcast, and um, generally continuing to subscribe. And um, thank you all very much, and go Tigers. <laughs>